Welcome to the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. Way down on the ballot during last Tuesday's presidential primary election were a bunch of races for the 80 members of the state Democratic and Republican parties. These races, in many ways, are the very definition of inside baseball. And the Republican races are even more obscure since the GOP accounts for just 10% of registered voters in Massachusetts. But somewhere along the way, the stakes in these campaigns got ratcheted way, way up. Money poured into the campaigns. No one knows exactly how much because these party races are not regulated like other campaigns for elected offices. The tone of the campaigns also darkened, with name-calling and accusations going back and forth. One Republican, a supporter of President Trump, watched as her neighbors received a mailing from a mysterious group that characterized her as someone who breaks promises and cost the state party a Senate seat. The mailing even featured a sketch of Trump saying, you're fired. Others picked up the phone call to hear a robocall from Howie Carr, the radio talk show host and Boston Herald columnist, raking them over the coals for being too close to Governor Charlie Baker. This is radio star Howie Carr from the Howie Carr Show with information for you from votereform.org. The battle going on between grassroots Republicans and the Republican establishment continues here in Massachusetts. Establishment politicians are playing dirty tricks and Paul Duvall's using his super PAC to send mailings from Boston on behalf of swamp creature candidates. We must stop them and support reform candidates. Again, this is Howie Carr asking you to join the battle at votereform.org. Again, bookmark and write down votereform.org. Thank you. Again, remember to visit votereform.org for the names of your candidates and then vote this Tuesday, March 3rd. Paid for by Renew Massachusetts Coalition, 339-227-8305. It's not a pretty sight. As one candidate told me, these are Republicans who are attacking each other, and there aren't that many of them to begin with. My name is Bruce Mole from Commonwealth Magazine, and I'm joined by two members of the Republican Party who fall somewhere in the middle of this fight between the two sides. Amy Carnival is a member of the State Republican Committee from Marblehead who was re-elected last week. And Anthony Amore, a security expert from East Boston, was the Republican nominee for Secretary of State in 2018. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. So I'd like to hear your take on what's going on. Let's start with you, Amy. Why don't you give it a shot? Well, thank you for having me on, Bruce. I, I would agree um, with the the person you spoke with earlier that this has been a low point uh, for Republicans in Massachusetts. It's been an ugly campaign. Uh, that being said, uh, you know I think uh, the Republicans I've spoken with in the last two days uh, since the election on Tuesday are, are ready to put this election behind them and move forward. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about unity um, and trying to move forward and uh, keep our focus, uh, put our focus back on the Democrats. Anthony, how about you? Yeah, I think Amy said it well. I, I saw a lot of vitriol leading up to the election uh, on social media, especially. I was really struck by it. But I, I will say that I did see a lot of um, coming together immediately after. And I don't think the problems are insurmountable. So what was the fight about, uh, Anthony? Why don't you try this one? The, the, there seemed to be a lot of angry words back and forth. And how do you sum it up? What, what, what was it about? Well, it's been described as uh, a fight between factions, one on the side of the governor and one on the side of Jim Lyons. I think it also kind of lined up in terms of people who lean towards the governor and people who lean towards the president. Um, but what was mysterious in there is that a lot of the mailings 
from both sides used the president's iconography uh, to support their their argument. So it got really muddled, and it became really offensive to people who support the president who were portrayed as not supporting him. So I think that was the genesis of a lot of the anger. Amy, how about you? Yeah, so I would just add to that uh, that the mass Republican Party controls the party resources, uh, which are really important um, to moving the f- uh, for any candidate for governor or statewide office. Um, so I think that's why the stakes were so high. Um, it has been described as a as a fight between the party chairman and the and the governor, and I think that's inaccurate. Um, the party is ma- the state committee is made up of 80 individuals, 80 Republicans who are serving on the committee for a variety of different reasons and represent different interests and viewpoints. And uh, many of the Republicans on the committee um, with whom I serve uh, support the governor on some issues, support the the chairman of the party on other issues, but generally try not to take sides. So I think really the resources that came to bear on Tuesday um, came from a a variety of different sources and representing of different interests, but ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's about the part controlling the party resources. But if, um, I guess what I'm still a little confused about, if it is about controlling the party resources, you sort of have two different philosophies by the Baker forces and the Jim Lyons. Again, Jim Lyons is the chairman of the party. Jim has made a strong point of wanting to get more money flowing down from the party and more focus on, on lower races, not on the governor's office. And he sort of, uh, there's a lot of people on his side sort of think the governor is more focused on the governor's office, maybe rightly so, and not broadening the base of the party. Uh, Is that a fair characterization of the philosophical difference? Uh, Against that backdrop, though, is you have Trump. Jim Lyons is a big fan of Trump, and the governor is not a big fan of Trump. And it's a tough nut. I mean, there does seem to be a lot of combustible materials there. Anthony, why don't you take it off first? Well, I think sort of what you're describing is it seems like there was some sort of fight for the soul of the Massachusetts Republican Party. And in there, you see a lot of people. One of, the, one of my pet peeves is people throw around this title, rhino. Anybody who doesn't agree with you now is a rhino. You're a Republican in name only. Uh, and I always ask, like, what, what advantage do you think anyone has by calling themselves a Republican when they're not really one? In Massachusetts. So you get into these odd fights about whether you're conservative enough versus people who understand there has to be some pragmatism to govern in Massachusetts. Um, it really comes down to, I mean, I consider myself a conservative, but can you be a conservative and govern strictly by uh, conservative values in this state? I don't even know if it's possible. It's certainly almost impossible to get elected that way. So I think that that is where there's some struggle between the two factions, what we would like to be and what ideally um, we would be versus what we are and what we can be. Amy? Uh, so I agree. I agree 100 percent with Anthony. I would just add that, um, you know, there, you have additional factions, um, social conservatives and fiscal conservatives. And then you have kind of the Trump Republicans uh, thrown in there as well. So so there's a, a multitude, I think, of interests. Um and I think that's why it was so hard to kind of read the results and read and understand what was happening, um, trying to influence the races on Tuesday. And another sort of interesting aspect of this campaigning, this was all sort of new to me, too, but probably very familiar to you, too, is that a lot of people were saying large amounts of money were being spent on these races. But 
for reporters, the traditional technique is you can go to the state office of campaign and political finance and see who's donating to the campaign, what are they spending it on, all this stuff. But here it was all by you didn't know who was doing what, and they had zip codes that you could sort of trace a little bit of it back to, but really always ended up being sort of a dead end. It was hidden money. It's just the sort of antithesis of a democracy because you don't know who's doing what to whom. Um, Well, I have kind of different views about that sort of thing. I think that political money is free speech. I I think about, you know, well, when you have reporting requirements, you know who's supporting whom, but I'm hard-pressed to think of a case where people said, I was going to support this candidate until I saw, you know, John Doe gave $10,000 to them. I, I just don't see that information swaying elections anyway. So I wasn't bothered by the fact that some money was spent by a quote-unquote shady group that no, no, nobody uh, ostensibly knew who was behind. So uh, I saw that it really as a non-issue. Well, I guess, I guess I'm sort of wondering if someone attacks you and you're running for this position mm-hmm. and you don't even know who they are, uh, you don't know where that's coming, and yet you assume you know who that who they are because they're attacking you and wh- where you stand. It's sort of a you know it's a recipe for a combustible situation, I guess. If you if someone attacks you and you don't know who's really doing it, but they did know who was doing it. I think you understood who the group was, and that's what's important. It doesn't matter to me who that individual is. You know what forces are at play in in the election, even down to a small state committee type election. You knew as we saw, what side people fell on. Um, Some of them were surprising to me. I had no idea that some of the state committee members were affiliated with one side or the other. Ultimately, as a Republican, thinking about the thing holistically, it just just concerns me to see people attacking Jim Lyons as if he's some evil guy. Jim Lyons is a tremendously nice guy with good intentions. Likewise, I saw people attacking the governor like he's the enemy. He's a He's the de facto leader of our party in terms of elected um, officials. Not de facto, he actually is. So uh, you just wish we could see when you're only 10 percent, you hope that you can have some unity in there. And it's been difficult. Amy, you want to weigh in on that? Uh, Yes. I I mean, I I would say it's important to remember that these are party offices and and not public office offices. And so that's the the reason for the discrepancy on, on public disclosure uh, and Anthony's right. I, I think most um, most people understood uh, where most of the money was coming. But but you are correct, Bruce, that it, it does make it more difficult um, uh, to draw public attention to these fights and kind of w- what's motivating and, and what's driving these fights. Um, I would also add that, um, you know, that some of these these groups uh, put money into this race to support candidates um, who I think weren't necessarily in agreement with them on some issues as well. So it was a, it was a really um, kind of strange race on Tuesday. Um, I, I had talked to um, some state committee members who actually, you know, preferred that these groups uh, did not get involved in, in the races, and they did. Um, and I think put words in their, in their mouth. So it was it was an odd odd election on Tuesday. But it's not the first time that this has happened. I think we saw this, um, you know, the involvement of outside groups um, four years ago as well. Now, Amy, you use the term outside groups, um, and you've been careful to say that it's not Jim Lyons versus Charlie Baker, mm-hmm. that there are all these factions. But that sort of, again, raises in my head, well, who are these people? Do you have a sense and of, of who, who is putting money into these games? You call them outside groups. Are they, are they really outside groups? So I think there, there are individuals that would like to have greater control over the state party and the state 
party resources. Um, I think some of them um, represent um, social conservatives. Uh, some of them represent fiscal conservatives. So there's a couple of different interests that I think aligned uh, on Tuesday to kind of come together uh, to try to have more influence over the state party. Anthony, you agree with that? I or? do. That was really well said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about Charlie Baker for a minute, because he's a uh, a Republican who is in a, a bit of an awkward spot. Uh, there was a poll just a week or a little over a week ago that showed Republicans in this state are huge fans of President Trump. And Baker is not a huge fan of President Trump, and yet he is a very popular governor. So that term rhino that you mentioned, Anthony, is often you know, used to describe him by some Republicans. And, and there's a source of tension there which has been accentuated a little bit because the governor has also is also has ties to a super PAC that is now seemingly trying to support Democrats and Republicans, let's call them moderates, uh, who are somewhere in the middle. Um, he even weighed in in two primary fights for empty seats where Republicans were running against Republicans. He supported one over the other. So that that has to... That has to piss some Republicans off that he's doing that. Uh, what do you say, Anthony? I, I would say I, I kind of understand where the governor's coming from, or at least that group, that um, pack that supports certain uh, um, politicians. I understand that you have to have some consensus. The biggest political party in Massachusetts is the unenrolled uh, party, so you have to appeal to those voters as well. I think that um, if it was an elect, if this was an election time for the governor, you'd see that he'd be much more popular amongst Republicans in Massachusetts. We're kind of comfortable in the fact that he's there and he's a strong figure. Um, do I want to see uh, money from the Republican Party go to Democrats? Of course not. But this other uh, group is looking for something in the center. And again, I think it's free speech. It should go wherever they want it to go. Amy, what do you say about the governor's role in all this? Well, I, I think most Republicans are are willing to give the governor some slack on what he um, what he says about the party. Um, certainly, I think most Republicans are are grateful that it's not more Healy in the in the quarter office governing, and they're grateful Charlie Baker is in there. Um, you know, that being said, I think there is a recognition um, that he is, and maybe sometimes even a frustration that he's not a, as conservative um, as they are. But again, I get back to the fact that I think most Republicans um, do understand that to be governor in Massachusetts, um, you do have to govern from the middle. Uh, so they're willing to kind of cut them some slack on that. And what do you, as Republicans, what do you make of, uh, Amy, let's start with you. What do you make of the governor refusing to say who he voted for in the presidential primary? Now, it's clear it's a secret ballot. He can do whatever he wants. But he then says, I didn't vote for Trump, but I'm not going to tell you who I voted for. What is, is there a code for that in the Republican Party? What is he trying to accomplish there? Well, you know, the governor has made very clear, um, you know, really uh, since, uh, since Donald Trump was uh, running for office, um, that he did not support him uh, as a candidate. And he's made clear that he is not a fan of President Trump um, in the Oval Office as president. So, you know, I think most Republicans have advised him uh, when he's asked about President Trump just to not say anything. So I think this is probably the governor listening to that advice um, and uh, just trying not to say anything and uh, get in trouble with his own party. Anthony, what, what's your take? Yeah, there's no win there. 
I mean, the governor's on the record saying what he thinks of the president. I think a lot has a lot more to do with his personal behavior than the policy outcomes that we've seen. Um, but I, I don't think there's an easy answer for the governor in that in that respect. And we know he's friendly with uh, Governor Well too. So there's no easy answer for him there. I think he's smart to just say, I'm not going to talk about who I voted for. And we played this clip from Howie Carr, a robocall from him. And um, I may be totally naive about it, but here's a guy who has a column in the Boston Herald that runs a radio, he's a radio show talk host. And I knew he had issues with the governor, but um, this is sort of weighing into a pretty political role, really. Um, is that appropriate, Anthony? What, what do you think? Well, I think how he understands that the state committee has, you know, in terms of our side, the Republican side, the state committee has a lot of power. They play an important role. And I think how he felt, you know, he's a strong opponent of the governor's. Uh, and I think he felt, here's a way I could weigh in and, and um, put my money where my mouth is, I guess. Uh, um, I'd prefer not to have seen it, but he doesn't, he's not surprising anybody when he does that. So um, you have to give that to him. I guess so. Um, so when you, you both have said that the, um, the state committee has a lot of power, I guess in a financial sense, uh, talk to me a little bit more about that because I've read stories, I don't know the ins and outs of it, of how Baker used when, when his forces were in more control of the party, he used it to raise a lot of money and, and helped his, his own campaign as well as others, I guess. Uh, I think the, the word I get is that the party is now, obviously with Baker sort of excluded from the party operations in a large way, that the party is not raising boatloads of money anymore because Baker would be a big draw to raise money. Um, so is it, I mean, that financial argument, I'm just trying to understand that a little bit better. Is, is it so powerful now or is it starting to spend more money than it takes in. Well, for a long time, I had the great uh, benefit of having the easiest state committee person vote ever. I voted for Amy Carnavali for years, so I, I defer to Amy <laughs> on this question. <laughs> what do you say, Amy? So I would say this. So the certainly um, under Governor Baker, um, it, there was a lot of money raised um, by the state party. I think Jim Lyons is doing a fine job at, at raising money. He's, he has also worked to cut expenses, by the way. He moved the uh, headquarters of the state party out of the city of Boston um, to save not only on rent, but on parking. Um, so he's moved to cut expenses um, and is, is making money um, so that we are still raising money. Uh, we're not certainly not in the red. We are in the black. But it's not at the level um, as it was under under Governor Baker, certainly um, having the governor um, actively raising money for the party, you know, is a, is a big advantage. Uh, but we're doing better than than most state parties. So I guess uh, there's all these factions. So if, if say these conservative factions would probably align with factions supporting Jim Lyons, I would guess. And they want to gain more control because they would spend the money differently than the governor would? Or are they wanting to gain control because well, – is, is that the primary they – they want to spend the money differently than the party spent it when friends of Charlie Baker were in charge? Perhaps. I think that um, that's some of it. But I think that uh, that faction of the party, uh, rightfully so, they want to see their ideals represented in their chairman. And that's an understandable desire. And I mean, if the Republicans of Massachusetts decided to vote for more people on the quote-unquote 
Lions faction, then that's what it should be. I have uh, no consternation about that as long as we can have some sort of united front rather than these – it's such a small party to see these inside attacks is really uh, – it's, it's troubling. I'm glad that it's really subsided now. Amy, how about you? What do you think about uh, why, the, why, do, why do these groups want control of the party apparatus? Well, I would just add to, to Anthony's point. I think a lot of state committee members um, supported Chairman Lyons because they they do believe that he has um, an effective message that resonates with the grassroots of the party. Um, at the same time, they also respect and support the leadership of, of Governor Baker. So I think you can actually have both. Um, yes. You could, recognizing the fact that the party chairman appeals to a different segment of, of the party than than the governor. Um, and, and I think, I think that's where the majority of state committee members lies. Um, I think I, you know, certainly you have the outside interests and the interest groups trying to, um, you know, influence that ratio. But I, I think a majority of the, of the committee members at the state party, um, support both. And I, I just want to reemphasize that fact. I, I think Amy makes a great point and I want to make it an equally important one. I think as Republicans, we need to step back and say, we have an effective governor, who represents us well as Republicans and represents Massachusetts well. We have an effective, decent man as the state committee uh, chair. And we should look and say, you know, how odd is it to have so much integrity? These are two men of integrity um, at the top of these positions. That's, that's not something to be taken for granted. We see all the time in Massachusetts about corruption investigations and these horrible things that happen in Massachusetts politics. These two guys are are people you can be proud of. They're good men. And while I've got two key Republicans talking to me here, I thought I'd ask, what do you guys think? Is Baker going to run for a third term, or is he is he just sort of leading us to believe he might, but, but going to quit after two terms? What do you think? Uh, I, I lived in Swampscott up until a few months ago. I have to tell you that the governor is tireless, and he's never home. He's always working. People would be shocked to see how many hours he puts in. You can't do that without loving the job. And he had said to me one time, I said to him a long time ago, I don't mean to make news, I said, did you ever think you'd want to run for president? And he said, president's a terrible job. Governor's a great job. And you can tell he really means it and he loves it. So I'd, I'd be surprised if he doesn't run again. Amy, what do you think? Yeah, I'd echo that as well. I mean, I'm a, I'm a neighbor of his in Marblehead, and I, I've also known him a long time, and he loves the job. He loves the people. Um, he is he's dedicated uh, most of his life uh, to state government um, and improving state government and improving the way government functions, um, and, I, and I know he loves it. So I, I, think, uh, I think he is considering running for a third term. I'll, I'll, I'll leave that to you guys. I, I do see a lot of gray hair spouting on top of his head, even though he has a good head of hair, but... Uh... It might be eight years, might be a pretty long time to fight these battles, but we'll see. Well, I think the First Lady will have something to say about it, too. (laughs) I think you're right. (laughs) Well, um, Amy Carnival and Anthony Amore, thank you very much for joining me today. And to our listeners, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce.